today on CityCast Chicago. The state's biggest corruption trial in over a decade has finally come to a close. So what does that mean for Illinois' former most powerful politician? Plus, union efforts are gaining steam in Springfield, and the city is cracking down on PPP fraud. It's Friday, May 5th. I'm Jacoby Cochran, and this is What Chicago's Talking About. Good morning to my guest today from WTTW, Amanda Vinicky, and from WBEZ, Dan Mihalopoulos. Welcome back to CityCast, y'all. Thank you. This is a pleasure to be with you, always. I I think we have to start with this huge story from the week. I'm not sure if, if everyone's been paying attention, but the end of the ComEd 4 trial, which has been billed as one of the biggest corruption cases in Illinois in a decade, and four former ComEd executives and lobbyists are were facing major corruption trials largely centered around this scheme to bribe Michael Madigan and his associates for favorable legislation in Springfield. Um, so I got to ask, starting with you, Amanda, what was your reaction to all four individuals being found guilty? Not just found guilty, but being found guilty on all counts. And I think that's where there was a little bit of Wow. And I, I do think that it is very significant, but first of all, for the families, uh, those who were in the courtroom, uh, of course, described that there are tears and heartbreak on the part of relatives and those who are close to the defendants who now are most certainly facing prison time in some capacity. Uh, that's significant from a human perspective, but then for all of us writ large as Illinoisans, uh, what does it say about our government system as it is now? And what does it say about politics going forward? Dan, what do you think is the biggest thing we learned over the, the course of this trial? Well, actually, I think uh, most of the revelations, uh, all the accusations uh, were not only in the indictment, uh, but also the contours of this have been known for close to three and a half years. You know, there were a series mm -hmm. of raids in uh, almost four years ago, actually, in May of 2019, various people associated with not only Commonwealth Edison, but especially with Michael Madigan, uh, got visits from, from the feds, uh, surprise visits, in some cases at home or at their offices. And uh, a few months after that, we reported that it all revolved around uh, a bunch of basically ghost contracting jobs. Remember, we used to say ghost payrollers. Well, this is a little bit more sophisticated and a sort of privatized form of patronage that we saw here where they gave jobs to all these friends of Madigan. They didn't have to do any work. Um, and this, you know, expenditure on several lobbyists of uh, about a million three hundred thousand dollars paid off probably a hundredfold for Commonwealth Edison, which is the, the power company that covers uh, the entire northern uh, part of Illinois, including the whole Chicago area, four million residential and business customers. So to me, this is an enormous scandal, not just because it goes all the way up to Mike Madigan, who dominated Springfield for the past 40, 50 years. But also, I think this is a sort of scandal that is not victimless. The victims are all of us. Practically all of us had to pay more just to turn the lights on. This enriched ComEd by hundreds of millions. You know, can, can I, so in terms of what was surprising out of this is that is where we got the figure. We all knew that this was going to be lucrative for ComEd and Exelon. Clearly, we are talking that the 2016 energy law 
valued at $1.8 billion mm-hmm. of profit. $1.8 billion. And as Dan was saying, that that is our pocket. So that, to me, was sort of one of the big revelations, actually, of the trial that we hadn't heard otherwise. And the other revelation was hearing the tapes. It's one thing to see transcriptions. It's one thing to know some of these calls. It is quite another to actually hear them, to see the video. Yeah. And I'm, what, I, I, you have to... It, think that that is something that swayed jurors, that it wasn't just, you know, um, some sort of secondhand recollection of a conversation or no, again, Madigan's voices in those he, it's tapes, in those tapes, all of it to me was really sort of fascinating to really, really hear because Madigan has been this presence in the Capitol that wasn't particularly open, very, um, one of the reasons that he was thought to be untouchable was because he's so careful and so closed off, keeps his inner circle so tight and doesn't email, doesn't have a cell phone. And yet there you were hearing some of this conduct and, oh, wait, his close confidant breaking all of those rules yeah. by putting a heck of a lot of things in writing. Dan, given these revelations, now that all four people have been found guilty on all charges, what do you think this spells for Michael Madigan? Yeah, I think it's not good for him. Um, this is uh, uh, the, the defense that was used by, uh, I think, all of these defendants. In this case, um, one of whom is also a co-defendant uh, of Madigan's, Mike McLean, in, in the separate case, um, was that, you know, it's not, you know, bags of cash. It's not your sort of traditional straight-up bribery scheme. And the feds acknowledge that. The, the U.S. attorney who's prosecuted, prosecuted the case said, you know, yeah, this is a little bit more complex. It's a little bit more nuanced. But it convinced the jury that that was a crime, that it was not lobbying as usual. And so Mike Madigan's defense would would probably be, and we've seen it in his statements since he was indicted and since this all came to light, uh, you know, I will never apologize for helping good people get jobs. You know, he was just, you know, telling a company his recommendation with no quid pro quo involved. And now we not only have this conviction, but remember, at the very beginning of this, Commonwealth Edison, as a company, admitted in, to this whole bribery scheme, paid a $200 million fine to the federal government. Uh, but I think this is not good for Mike Medigan. This increases pressure on these defendants to flip on him, to cooperate with the feds for leniency. And we could, you know, talk all night at a place like Saputo's or other Springfield hangouts <laughs> or more local Chicago political hangouts about which of these defendants might be more likely or or less likely uh, to flip. I, I actually I um, interviewed a former you know prosecutor from the George Ryan days, Patrick Collins, ab- about just that. What do you think this is going to mean for the possibility of defendants flipping? And um, his take was really interesting, and that was that McLean has thus far been so loyal. And while, yes, looking at hard time might change things, it's not as if he wasn't under pressure before. Because let's remember, it's not just Madigan who's going to trial in about a year from now. McLean is due to be up there again in this racketeering. He would be the one that would be the most interesting. According to Collins, he said, you know, somebody like Pramjuri, maybe not particularly as compelling for uh, prosecutors in the Madigan-McLean case uh, in april 24 because she's already testified you and Anne is the former ceo of comed right yes oh sorry about that former ceo of comed and then rose to um also be um executive at exelon uh, but 
when you're already on the stand saying a bunch of things, including that you're not that close with Madigan and I didn't know anything, how credible are you as a witness if you then change things? So that's just one perspective. Certainly uh, prosecutors will want to presumably lean and get all they can because while this is a significant uh, verdict and sort of get for the feds, it is nothing like who, let's the big kahuna the boss, the guy, the man. Right. But we have the tapes already. So in a way, they're cooperating already. The recordings. Whether they lie. want to or not. Yeah. <laughs> and from a majority, she went on these junkets to Turkey that Madigan and his wife and his spokesman, Steve Brown, and um, uh, other people that were very close to him, like the lobbyist Liz Brown, and many of his, members of his caucus went on these junkets to Turkey, which came up, we wrote about him years ago, seven, eight, nine years ago, but they um, came up repeatedly, um, and Ampra Majori was there. He wasn't inviting strangers to go with him to the other side of the world and sit next to the Bosporus and, and eat fish, you know? <laughs> This is why we call y'all, because who got more receipts than Amanda and Dan? That's what we call y'all, yeah. because of y'all's recollection. You know, I didn't get my invite to Turkey, but I'm not mad about it. But <laughs> With such a huge trial dominating media and headlines this week. We always want to make sure we're paying attention to some stories that might not have got the same amount of attention. And I want to stay on Springfield uh, with you, Amanda. Uh, in November of last year, uh, they passed uh, a workers' rights bill that would allow for state employees to more easily bargain for collective rights. And now it seems that some of those employees, particularly down in Springfield, are seeing what's the power behind this. Can you catch us up on what's going on? Yeah, this is actually a story by a colleague uh, of Dan's at WBEZ, Alice Stegman, who uh, this is something that I think has been sort of fomenting for a while in Springfield. This is an effort by members of the current House Speaker staff to unionize. There, there's been an amendment added to the state constitution that uplifts unionization efforts and the power of labor. And they say, hey, wait a second, because these are people that they say they've got to take out some second jobs that during session, when session goes until two o'clock in the morning, they've got to be there. Doesn't matter if they have kids or another commitment or what have you, they got to be there until two. There's a capital culture where staffers have to, even if session isn't in, you can't leave. It's not like, okay, work is done necessarily at 4.30 for the day. It's you don't leave until you are excused, until your superior says it is all right, you are released. And so people don't leave for lunch. They're not allowed to if session isn't. There, there are so many rules where they're saying, hey, wait a second. These are exactly the sort of things that you're seeing employees in other sectors unionize for. Um, and thus far, the speaker has not recognized those unionization efforts. There are some complications because there's some sort of build-ins to law in various areas that exempt the General Assembly itself. And this perhaps is one of those. So by the way, this unionization sort of an added interest of, or tier is that the, these employees who are working to do this are not trying to go along with some of the big unions, SEIU and AFSCME, who, of course, there's all sorts of conflicts that they might have as they constantly are before the speaker and other legislative leaders seeking passage of 
broader bills that would benefit their membership. So it is certainly something that I think is interesting to follow and, again, could change the capital culture. Obviously, I've never worked in this position, but if you look at anything from the most dramatic, the West Wings down to the the funny veeps, it seems like government employees, it's just accepted that they break their backs, that they overwork themselves. And because of the position they have to power, that often you don't see these efforts picking up or getting that much attention because people think like, well, this is the cost of of doing business. But now you're seeing with these surveys that, you know, 84 percent of these employees said they were struggling to pay bills, right? 75% said they weren't likely to stay on if these type of conditions continue. Does the speaker look a little bit hypocritical at this point, having stood up and, and worked for this workers' rights amendment and now on the back end is is maybe, uh, you know, putting off the efforts inside his own inside his own office? Yes. Um, I think you know, I, the, the speaker's office hasn't given a lot of comment. We do have, I believe, a response from the speaker's attorney who cited some of those legal exemptions that I mentioned. But again, legal exemptions built in by the General Assembly. By them. But yes, mm-hmm. I think it certainly is going to continually put the onus on Democrats to practice what they preach. And that could have consequences. Dan, another story that you've been paying some attention to this week is uh, the increased allegations of PPP fraud, uh, not only amongst some city employees, but against one of the most successful restaurants in not only Chicago, but in all of America. Can you first remind people, right? We've been in this pandemic for a while. What is PPP and, and you know, what's the story right now? Yeah, I mean, the reason you should care about PPP is, and we've been watching it not just recently, but since it started back in 2020, you know, almost right after the lockdowns that were, were necessitated uh, by the pandemic and the economic fallout from those lockdowns, you started getting help from Washington and some of us, us W-2 employees and whatnot, we get little checks, uh, a few hundred bucks or whatnot. I think it was 900 bucks in the first round, but there was a huge sum of money to businesses. And it was through the U.S. Small Business Administration was supposed to be for small businesses. We start to see that, you know, it was written very broadly and huge businesses were getting money, probably in terms of dollar amounts, the largest expenditure of government money in the history of the world, frankly. And um, now we find tons of fraud in this program. The money was going out the door so fast. People were not checking things. And we have all sorts of fraud, many of them allegedly uh, in and around the Chicago area uh, at different uh, you know levels of our, of our um, economy. Uh, public employees, as you mentioned, not just city employees, actually county employees, um, park district employees who, in some cases, allegedly formed companies that really didn't exist or claimed to have companies that didn't really function um, so that they could get money uh, that would go to small businesses to support them during the pandemic. Does the sum from these individuals, does that even compare to what we saw from sort of these bigger businesses? When you think about like a, a Maple and Ash, for example, who is bringing in some 30 million a year. And what are the allegations how they use their money? Uh, Maple and Ash, uh, it just came out in a, in a lawsuit between investors in that restaurant that this this restaurant in the Gold Coast, it's a steakhouse, a number four highest grossing restaurant, number four in the country in, in volume of, of sales. Um, so very, very successful restaurant. 
got $7.6 million between the that outpost in the Gold Coast and another Maple and Ash Steakhouse in Scottsdale, Arizona, where some of the, the rich and beautiful people of Chicago, I guess, like to go and others. Um, <laughs> I haven't been there, but... Um, my mom just got back. She, oh, really? It's know, nice people place, go to huh? people go to to Arizona, and apparently they like it. I'm yeah, well, still I, very I, confused, but I, yeah, I think there's like a Rick O'Benny's out there or, or Portillos, <laughs> and you know, there's all sorts of Chicago uh, Giordano's, probably all sorts of businesses from Illinois that that open up out there uh, when people try try to find some some sunlight, um, but. Uh, you know, the allegation is that they were taking the money and instead of using it to meet payroll, and there is a certain percentage you have to spend on, you know, your own employees uh, and paying them. Uh, instead, they allegedly, now they deny this, but they allegedly took that money and used it to pay country club dues and private jet rentals. Uh, that's uh, probably not allowed. But again, it's an allegation in a civil case in Cook County Circuit Court. Um, and, you know, there's there's a number of files there that we, we haven't gotten yet in that case. So, uh, you know, maybe we'll find out some more about it. My only hope moving forward is that the feds put as much attention in going after these big businesses. They took money uh, as they do, uh, you know, the the individual citizens who, who might have also got over on this program during what was, again, uh, a very kind of traumatizing period where so much of us were confused about, you know, what's up, what's down, what's left and right. Uh, but we will continue to follow this. Well, I agree with you totally. Yeah. They should be fishing for the big fish too. Although again, in this case, Maple and Ash denies the allegations and it is in a civil case. We don't know mm -hmm. of any criminal investigation into that. But like you said, if the feds are going to be looking for uh, corruption, they should be looking high as well as low. Every single episode of City Cash Chicago ends with us trying to leave the listener with some good news to get them through the hour, the day, the weekend. Dan, what is your good news on this beautiful Friday for the listener? Okay, well, I'll, I'll say it in an even tone since I'm tone deaf. I'm not going to subject you and 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 your your producers and listeners to my singing, but uh, I'm pretty psyched. Uh, you know, this summer. Uh, there's a soccer game at Soldier Field that was announced that they just put the tickets for sale between Chelsea from the English Premier League, uh, former European champions, and um, Borussia Dortmund, which is a big German team. And um, they have fans. You know, these teams, a lot of people watch it now with satellite TV. Uh, a lot of people watch games in Europe. And they the, it's, the season starts in Europe in the fall and runs until the spring. So... They're coming here for a preseason game in the summer. They usually, it's kind of a cash grab. You know, it's it's a preseason friendly is what they call it in the soccer uh, parlance and the soccer terminology. Mm -hmm. so some big names, you know, there's a former Chicago Fire player, young guy from Addison, who's a goalkeeper uh, named uh, Gabriel Slanina. So maybe we'll see him play. Uh, Christian Pulisic from the U.S. World Cup team. I'm, I'm rocking their, um, their hoodie. hoodie, right? Yeah, I think I might go out there, even though, you know, like I said, generally, I, I, I try to to not participate in these uh, non-competitive cash grabs that the <laughs> Europeans try to foist on us American uh, rubes. You know? <laughs> hey, good for you, though, just being able to get out there. Honestly, besides the fire, 
the Red Stars, AFC Richmond, and the Wrexham Football Club. I don't know that much about football. Uh, so any energy you could bring, especially coming off the heels of the World Cup, um, it, it's good to see that people are still got, like, people haven't completely turned away from soccer as Americans tend to do when, when the big tournament is over. And the World Cup will be here. Yeah, the, usually people only you know pay attention every four years, like you said. The next World Cup is in the United States, Canada, and Mexico, although not in Chicago. Soldier Field will not be a venue. That's a longer bad news conversation for another time, maybe before the World Cup in 2026, when people are like, "What? It's it's happening!" And but it's not going to be in the third largest city in the in the country. We'll drop links for tickets in the show notes to this uh, August friendly at Soldier Field. Amanda, what is your some good news for CityCast listeners this week? My good news is... Always singing with me. Always. (laughs) One of the only people who don't leave me hanging. Go ahead, Amanda. My good news is, I guess, a sort of shout out. We began this program talking about the ComEd 4 trial. And uh, as a journalist, you know, not going to say... I'm no no schadenfreude here, no comment in terms of that. But I will say uh, appreciation for the members of the jury. That is talking about hard work. You're you're giving up weeks of your work life to sit here and really perform a civic duty. There's no obligation for members of the jury to share with the public via journalists such as Dan and myself and others what their thoughts were, how they reached the decision. And so This is a shout out to the jurors who did. We had one actually on Chicago Tonight and WTTW, Amanda Schnitker-Sayers, who was willing to share, this is what we talked about. This is our approach. And frankly, her disgust with the the system and saying that part of how the verdict was reached was because this um, diverse jury who she said, you know, we had heated arguments, but that they don't want to stand for this sort of corruption, that they are sick of it and that they very intentionally wanted to send a message that this is the conduct that they saw that they, again, heard on calls and on videotapes was the sort of conduct that they believe is not only improper, but illegal. And they, she said, I still have belief in great government. We have the tools. So let it work correctly. My some good news is my best friend Darius is getting his home ready, his backyard, his front yard for the late spring summer gardening season. And for the last couple of years, I've gone out there to Homewood to help him sort of plan to go check in on his garden. And I mean, his his backyard is extremely ambitious. Last year they were growing watermelon and grapes and strawberries and blueberries. There was lavender everywhere. And so now they're doing an extension in the backyard. And so I'm going to go out there this weekend and get my hands dirty a little bit since I live in a, in a apartment building in Hyde Park and don't have anything symboling a yard space. I want to give another huge shout out to our guest today from WBEZ, Dan Mihalopoulos, and from WTTW, Amanda Venicky. Thank y'all so much. Of course, I got to thank the people who make CityCast Chicago possible. That's lead producer Carrie Shepard, producer Simone Alisea, newsletter editor Sydney Madden, our marketing coordinator Jermaine Thomas, 
oh my god the people who make the music i love shout out to sam thousand all the kimonos and mark greenberg of the mayfair workshop and my last thank you is for you the audience behind CityCast Chicago. We appreciate y'all rocking with us and making us a part of your daily, weekly, or whenever you got some time routine. It means a lot to us. We gonna be here bright and early on Monday. Hopefully you'll join us. Peace. Bada bing, bada boom. All right, that was great. All right, thanks so much. I really enjoyed it. You're super well prepared as always and great questions and uh great topics and a lot of fun too thank so. you thank you i'm sorry i gotta cut out dan i really do love your sweatshirt and talk to you later guys thank you bye man <laughs>